There we go. Good morning. Man, what an exciting day, isn't it? It's like I got to go preach now after watching this and after that kind of worship together. Um, we really could just go home, but we're not. I'm sorry. Because um, we're already here. We set all this up, so we might as well preach while we're here. Um, we're going to be in Colossians 1, as Phil just read this morning. And I'm going to wrap up today our series entitled Refresh, in which we are looking at, as a church, just really the core things of being a Christian and how we as a people, in a sense, many times need to just hit refresh and be kind of renewed, reminded at the core things of following Jesus. And what's beautiful about baptism for my sermon today is it leads us right into kind of our main thought today. Oh yeah, kids, please be dismissed this morning. All the parents are like, please say something, Jason. Please, I've got to move them now. So kids, you're dismissed. Um, Sorry, parents. It's built on grace. All this is built on grace, so. Man, I will tell you, uh, this morning, um, it's, it's one of those days, you mean mobile church, there's a lot of things going on. We started our classes back at 9.30. We're trying to get this thing set. I have guys making it hot, then pouring ice in it, making it cold. It's just been incredible, all the things this morning. But here's my prayer for us today, is that we can, we can stop. We can, um, here's my, 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 my prayer this morning, that we're just not hurried. We're going to open God's word, and we're going to sit and read and meditate and exhort the greatest truth in the world, the word of God. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the gift of salvation, the celebration of baptism, and the reality of a risen Savior. Let us, the people today, be reminded anew of the reality of the gospel. Let your word speak to us, Lord. Calm and quiet our souls so we can hear from you. We love you. We do and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you see in baptism, we see death to life, right? It's this reminder that in the world, as defined by Scripture, there's really two kinds of people, two kinds of persons. There's the natural person, the person that lives in a fleshly body, the person who works out of their own strength, the person who tries to be a a good person, a good citizen. There's a natural person. But there's another kind of person. There is, what I wanted to find today is a Jesus person. A Jesus person. A person whose life has been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have two issues today as I kind of think about us as a people in the world today. There's two things. The first is this. Many of us in here, maybe not many, some of us in here would profess to be a Jesus person, but truthfully, we're still a natural person. We haven't been transferred to that kingdom, but we think of ourselves as this, but we're still a natural person. That's the first issue. Second issue, many of us in here are Jesus persons, but we're still living as if we're a, nat- a natural person, a fleshly person. A Jesus person really is a disciple of Jesus. But we hear that word disciple so much, we almost tune it out. But a disciple, Dallas Willard defines it this way. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. 
So if Jesus were you, how would he be? Or how would you become more like him, more like a Jesus person? So the question we're going to start with today is this right here. Are we in this room becoming Jesus people? Or are we being just satisfied staying natural, good people? And as you read Colossians today, this is what Paul is praying for for this church here. As they, in a sense, have come to faith, they're, they're battling heresy on one side, and they're trying to walk in the ways of the gospel. And Paul is writing to them to exhort them in this. Let's read it real quick again. Verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That phrase, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, is a beautiful phrase, but many times we take that and we apply weight on ourselves. Let me keep going. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul is praying they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in the, they would walk in the ways of Jesus, that God would be pleased with them. But, but here's the issue. We hear that phrase, many of us in this room, that we walk in a way of Jesus in a manner worthy. And that we please God and we hear that and we just feel tired. We just feel exhausted. We just feel incapable. Because, listen to this. Read this passage. All wisdom and understanding. Bearing fruit. Doing good works. Endurance. Patience. Joy. All these things that we can't do. The natural person wears themselves out trying to be a Jesus person. Because we cannot do it apart from him and his work. This is a supernatural life. It's a different plane of living that we can't manufacture on our own. And as we try to, we're going to be mistaken. I think part of our issue is that we're going into this battle This idea of being Jesus' people, of following Jesus totally unprepared for the battle. We're going to war with a water gun, so to speak. And the water gun is our own strength, our own power, our own wisdom, our own might. So the question we're going to try to answer today is this right here. How do we, how do you, how do I become a Jesus person? The first thing I would say is we have to first rest in a transformed identity. We have to rest in a transformed identity. Listen, everything in this world tells us to go out and to get it, to achieve it. And we take that ethic and we apply it to our faith, that we have to go out and achieve it. But back to Paul's words that Phil read earlier. Giving thanks to the Father. After he prays that they'd be worthy, they'd please God, it starts here, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Another interpretation is who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints 
and light. Paul is pointing us back to the source. He's pointing us back to the source, the Father. We thank him because he makes this possible through Jesus. He has qualified us. And here's a key thing. He isn't qualifying us. He's not waiting to see if you do this, then I'll make you ready. He has qualified you. Let's keep going. Verse 13. He has delivered, not delivering, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we watched this baptism a few minutes ago and we're celebrating because we have brothers and sisters who have been transferred and delivered. That's why we scream and we clap. They've gone from death to life, darkness to the light, from natural to supernatural. And that's a reason to celebrate. But these beautiful children did nothing to accomplish that. We give thanks to the Father who qualified us and then transferred us. Hear this. This is an objective thing that God does that we rest on. We sing the song about God's faithfulness. Our confidence is in him. We rest in his promises. It's because he is the faithful one, not us. He transferred us from a natural to a supernatural, from a natural person to a Jesus person. So how do we actually rest in this identity? How do we kind of partner with God and what he's doing? There's two things. First, it's trust and surrender. This is Jesus saying we must come to him with childlike faith. We must come to him with childlike faith. That we trust him. Listen, we can't have this great objective standing as a kingdom, as in the kingdom of light, if we don't surrender our lives. We can't look back. Without, hear this, without trust and real surrender, we're all just playing religious games. Without real trust and real surrender, we might as well be at the lake today. This isn't worth it. If you're just going to play games, it's not worth it. But if we want to experience true life and freedom only found in Christ, it requires trust and surrender. This is Jesus telling us, come to us like children. This is Jesus saying, take up your cross, the symbol of death, and follow me. This is Jesus also saying it's difficult for the rich man to enter heaven. And us in America in 2020, we're the rich man, Right? We have our needs met. So our cross doesn't seem so bad. I kind of just want to stay right here. I don't, want to, I don't want to die to myself because we have what we need and it prevents us from real surrender. Dallas Willard says this, abandonment to God is the fruitful way to experience good under God. It means relinquishing our way. It means not being angry or resentful when things do not go our way. That means that in God's hands, we are content for him to take charge of outcomes. And that in that posture, we make way for him to occupy 
our lives with us. And we achieve what is best for us and for others far beyond anything we can even imagine. Only from this supernatural standing and identity can we move forward. This is what is light about the way of Jesus. See, the natural person believes the way of Jesus is very, very heavy. It's because the natural person has not surrendered their will to God and tried to accomplish the ways of Jesus in their own power. And that is heavy. But hear this. With surrender comes the lightness of the yoke of Jesus. But I guess what I've been praying for all week for my own heart, for our hearts in this room, that I I sense that we are just, we're not prone to surrender is what I would say. We don't easily move towards God, take everything. But what I'm worried about is that we're walking in this kind of natural, religious kind of way. And we've never truly done the work of surrendering and being made new. And the spirit of God indwelling us and empowering us to live in the way of Jesus. So let's go to Galatians two, uh, Colossians 2 real quick. So if we are to surrender and trust, right, and be transferred into God's kingdom from a natural to a supernatural in in a sense, right? Well, how do we walk in this? Like if you're like me, you're going to leave today and a thousand things are going to tempt you back into looking at things through a different lens, correct? Look at Colossians 2 verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ, we receive Christ through grace by faith. Continue to live in him. Verse 7, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. We keep coming back to our justification what God says about us over and over again so that he can begin to change us from the inside out. It's this process. It is a slow process. But how do we do this day in and day out? On a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Sunday afternoon, how do we walk in this truth? We must commit to practices and to people. It's a scary word. I like that word. We must commit to practices and people. So we rest in what God has done, right? We must commit to practicing people. Colossians 3 verse 1 says this. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Listen, friends, if that is a phrase that if we can learn to understand and I guess apply to our lives, our lives be transformed. How many, don't raise your hand, please, but how many in this room just set their mind on earthly things? We've been transferred, right, to this new kingdom, this new way of life, this new identity, but we don't walk in those ways many times. Many of us, if we're honest, we're walking in the news and the message of the world. Our eyes are down here, not up here. 
See, spiritual practices, these ancient practices, things like reading and studying God's word, things like praying to God, things like taking a Sabbath and attending worship with other believers, those ancient spiritual practices are, in a sense, disciplining ourselves to set our minds on things above. What we see in Corinthians, right, Paul compares the Christian walk to a race. So about six, seven months ago, um, my beautiful wife and some friends ran a half, she loves when I do this, ran a half marathon. Um, I didn't do it because I run, I run full marathon, so I didn't want to go to the half that time, and I just didn't feel right doing that to make them feel bad. And so, but on, but this half marathon, they trained for a year, right? They spent time disciplining their bodies, getting ready, running a mile, then two miles, then three miles, then too many miles, all those kind of things, right? And Paul gives us that same kind of picture, that we're to discipline our bodies, discipline our lives for godliness. We see this in Paul's life, right? He practices this as well. Go to Colossians 1 again. If you read Paul's letters, you'll see this theme over and over. Verse, um, verse 3, he says, We thank God, the Father of our Lord, when we pray for you. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. We haven't stopped praying for you. All throughout Paul's letters, what you see him doing is praying. He's praying for the people of God. He's praying to fight his own sin. Paul is committed to the practice of praying, right? We see this in Timothy, don't we? As Paul asked Timothy, please bring me my scrolls. Bring me the words of God so I can feast and study and set my mind on those things, right? Paul is this picture of one who practices these things. And we see from Paul's life supernatural results from commitment to prayer, commitment to God's word. We see this in the life of Jesus, don't we? We see this in his life as he constantly, this is the theme of his life, withdrawing from people to spend time with God in prayer. Just him and God. And I love this phrase, Jesus was never hurried, was he? He just wasn't hurried. And he had this just supernatural, secure relationship with his father. If I could say one thing about our spiritual practices that I am trying to learn in, I share with my discipleship group this week with Lenny, is that we have to learn to just slow down. Like we put like prayer, we put studying God's word, memorizing God's words, even our Sabbaths, we're just so hurried, aren't we? I was talking to Tracy this week, and I was like, you know, I was going to be like trying to get up at 5 in the morning. I was trying to do 25 things before my kids got up. And God's words included in that, and prayers included in that. And so it was just one checklist. I was just flying through, and my soul just felt just so rushed. Here's what's happening there, is that we, we are setting our mind on earthly things. And we're, we're putting... God's word, prayer, those disciplines into earthly things to accomplish. Just one more thing to do, right? We're not actually stopping unhurried and setting our mind on things above. Listen, we hear this, this idea of spiritual practices, disciplines, habits, whatever word you want to use. We've heard it all before, haven't we? And we start to tune this out. Think, okay, I know this, but I don't know. You know, it's, I, I believe in grace, right? I, I believe in grace, all these kinds of things. 
And we live with this, because we're not attuned to the things of God, we live with this functional Jesus amnesia. That we forget who we are. We forget our new identity as brothers and sisters in Christ. We forget who we are. We think spiritual practices are opposed to grace. But listen, grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort, right? Listen, we're not earning, but we're becoming. We're not earning who we are. We're becoming more like Christ. We're beholding Christ and being changed from one degree of glory to another. Jeff Vanderstelt says this. It says, remember, spiritual disciplines are not about your righteousness, but about your relationship to God, yourself, and others. You don't engage them to become righteous. You engage them to relate to the one who made you righteous and enables you to walk in righteousness. We're just going back to the source over and over and over again. But Paul doesn't stop with just us in an individual setting, setting our minds on things above. Because we must commit to practices and to people. Colossians 3 verse 12. He says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Paul always goes back to our identity, doesn't he? Even when he's going to go like to our practical stuff, he goes back to who we are, the, 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 the chosen loved ones. He says, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Here's the fun part. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. In all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. That's so key. Through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Listen, your worship together on Sundays encourages your brother and sister in Christ. When we hear each other sing, it spurs us on. Presence matters. Your smile matters. Your tears matter. Your words of encouragement matter. Your exhortations matter. Your truth and love, it matters to one another. We're called to admonish and love each other. We desperately need each other to become Jesus' people. This passage brings it all together. People and practices. Listen, people and practices are the most practical aid we have in our spiritual life. It's the Tylenol and the Benadryl of our faith, right? The things we always have in our closet, right? In our cabinet. As we have these things, they are the means. Simple practices, simple people can lead to a supernatural life. But hear this. It takes commitment. Listen, we can't have one without the other. Because some of us are wired this way. Man, we love people. We are the social butterfly. We want to talk. We want to hang out. We want to just laugh and have fun. All these things. But if we have people, but no biblical practices, what we have is a social club. Listen, a, a club is a good thing, but it's not a transforming thing. 
Now, on the other hand, we have those, we have our introverts or those who just, you know, I don't need people. Listen, I got me and God and a Bible and I am good. Just leave me alone. But see, that leads to prideful religion because we're not being admonished. We're not having, being sharpened by others. Listen, we need this. We need both. We need people and practices. And here's the thing. I know this feeling where it's, it's your night to meet with your people, right? To be encouraged and it's the last thing you want to do. Or it's 5.30 in the morning, the alarm goes off and you know that you want to sit and be with God unhurried. But it's the last thing you want to do. I was thinking this week, this is how I can think about this. So I used to play uh, basketball years ago. Um, and when I played basketball, uh, I am a, a, a white male. And so I found my person. His name was Larry Bird. And I, I, when I tell you that I loved Larry Bird, I loved Larry Bird. I still love Larry Bird. I'm sorry, I do. Um, the mustache, everything. I, he, I, I watched him play and I thought, I want to be just like him. And so what I did, I somehow got his stats. There was no internet. I guess the paper, I knew Larry Bird's stats. I wore Larry Bird's number I tried to shoot like Larry Bird. I had this VHS tape. Uh, Luke and Layton have it too, actually. It's this old VHS tape that had Larry Bird's greatest plays on there. When I tell you, that was my text. My spiritual text was that VHS tape. I watched it, and I watched it, and I watched it. Then I go to my backyard, and I would practice the plays. I would do it. I would step back here. I'd shoot. I'd dribble like he would do. I did all the things he would do. But then I realized doing all these practices, right, I'm still not Larry Bird. Still not Larry Bird. I got the number, got the same kind of shot. I've watched everything he does. So I found me a coach, other players that helped sharpen me to get better and better and better. And guess what? Even when it wasn't fun, I loved it. I loved it because I wanted to be like him. And that's silly, right? But how much greater... And how much more should we think of our walk with Christ and the practice and the discipline to become like him should our lives be? Another example of my life this morning and the need for practices and people in our lives. So my routine this morning was normal. Got up early. I got to the office, just me and God, no kids. It was just quiet. It was me and him, kind of like last sermon touch-ups. And I just felt this overwhelming sense of distraction in my heart and my soul. Where, how do I say this? My heart wasn't ready to preach. I I didn't feel the unction to go and exhort God's word. And so I felt discouraged. I started getting worried. I was like, well, I'm going to preach here in two hours. I need to do something. And so I just started to text my people. Text my wife. Text Luke. My discipleship group. I said, Guys, it's not here today. Just pray for me. I went to my people to be admonished and encouraged. Then second, I just put away my notes and I just got with God. And he reminded me that I've been transferred. I was, I've been so far off. So, I have nothing to offer God. And he's made me an ambassador and a son in his kingdom. If that's not a reason to preach, then what are we doing? But it was simple people 
and practices that sustain me today. And guess what tomorrow I'm going to need? I'm going to need people and practices tomorrow. Friends, hear this. You've been transformed by Christ. You, put your, you have been. But to walk in the ways of we must commit to practices and to people. But here is the, to me, the icing on the cake, so to speak. Our formation into a Jesus person doesn't end there. It's not complete until we take what is poured into us and we pour into others. So our last point today, we must reproduce Jesus where you live, work, and play. I heard this phrase before, a disciple of Jesus has not been made until that disciple has made a disciple. Part of being a Jesus person is pouring Jesus into others, especially where God has placed you. Because God, we see this in Acts 17, God has placed you where you live, work, and play for his purposes. Like you have a workplace, a neighbor, a family, a friends, a people. God has placed you there. He's put a Jesus person there. A bodily presence of someone who knows and indwelled by God in that place for a reason. To reproduce other Jesus followers. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this. This is Paul to Timothy. What you've heard from me. How Paul has poured his life into Timothy. And the presence of many witnesses. Commit this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This great picture of reproduction, multiplication in this passage. We have Paul, we have Timothy, we have faithful men, and we have others. Four generations of Jesus followers, of Jesus persons. Listen, friends, this is where real ministry happens. Where the things that we don't know about, we don't plan, just you and the Spirit of God being encouraged to go out to your people. And reproduce Jesus' people. Rest, commit, reproduce. Rest, commit, reproduce. This is the life cycle of the Jesus person. We rest, we commit, we reproduce. Think about this. You um, work somewhere or you live somewhere. Those definitely, everybody in this room works or lives somewhere. And hopefully you're learning to just really rest in who you are in Christ. And you begin to really commit to the ways and the practices and the people in your life. But then there's this coworker, This coworker who just bothers the mess out of you. Who's unkind to you. Who sometimes cheats, sometimes steals, right? But you, because you've been transferred to a different kingdom in a different way. You're that faithful presence, that joyful presence in the up and downs of the day. And they might pay you no attention right now, but you keep loving, you keep being faithful, you keep sharing over and over. And that person keeps being mean to you and you're frustrated. But then one day what's going to happen, I pray, is that that, that annoying coworker is going to get sick. Or, or, or they're going to have somebody they love get sick or get hurt. And they're going to remember the Jesus person in their life. They're going to remember that person in their life. And at that moment, they're going to send you a text. And they're going to say, can we talk? Can we meet? I have seen this over and over in many of your lives, of you being that faithful presence and that person you've been praying for finally, finally seeks you out because 
your light. Your light in the midst of darkness, right? And they see the light. And at some point, God woos them and they're being drawn to the light. And because of your faithful presence, they take steps towards Jesus. Then one day, they are a Jesus person themselves. And then they go out and they find their annoying friend or coworker and pour Christ into them. And before we know it, our workplace looks different. Listen, friends, this is, this is almost frighteningly simple. Here's what I mean. I was talking to Heather DeLoach a few weeks ago because she wanted to start this group to pour into people, right? She said, well, who do I invest in? Where do I start? I said, well, just pray. Pray and who God puts on your heart. She called me that night. Somebody at her salon just got put on her heart. She asked her to read God's word with her and they started that day. Friends, this is so simple that the only excuse we have, it's gonna sound harsh, is disobedience or that we just don't care. But friends, as we learn to rest in our identity, commit to the ways and then reproduce what could happen Do you understand how much this natural world is craving Jesus' persons? I don't want to be a part of a church. I don't want to be myself just a natural person. Listen, we can can play a really good game. All of you are really smart. You're very disciplined. you, You can fake this all day long. I know you can. But I want to implore you don't. Surrender. Surrender and rest in a new identity. Commit to unseen practices. Commit to annoying people and then reproduce Jesus and others. So as we kind of land this plane, we t- how do we in September 2020, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a political season, how do we do this? How do we take some next steps today? I've got four things for us I would encourage you to think through today. First, to rest in a transformed identity. I would encourage you to trust in God and surrender your life today. I'm going to encourage all of us. Would you please, I'm going to ask a pastor a favor. I'll do this. Will you get your cards out? I would love to have 110%, my coach right there, participation in this moment right now. We're not doing communion today. This is our, this is our response time today as a church. I want to know where you're at um, as a people. And you can be honest with me as, as I walk through this. But the, the first step I'd ask you to take today, you just write it on your card if you want to. I believe there's people in this room who I believe the Holy Spirit is convicting of their lostness right now. Let's be very honest. I want to encourage you to trust in God and surrender. To trust in God and surrender your life to him. And if that's your step that I want to ask you to do, write it on your card. Find me in the back as we pray um, here in a little bit. But trust in God and surrender. Maybe that's your step today. My heart will be overjoyed to pray and talk to you today about that step. Second, commit to practices and people. I would encourage you to join a discipleship group. These, in a sense, are brand new. We as a church, we have missional communities. We have eight or nine of these, I believe, throughout our 
our cities in this area, which gather together to bring encouragement, a sense of family, and to serve our world together. And they are such a blessing. This is not that. This is, in a sense, a, a different and a new step. A, a, a discipleship group does this. It's two to three people, the same gender, who gather together to encourage each other, to be in God's word, and to be accountable to each other. It's really that simple. And hear this. It's not a covenant thing, a church thing. This is a Jesus thing. That you can't follow Jesus without other people. And so I want to encourage you to consider, as we pray in a moment, to just join a discipleship group. We pray at the beginning of this year to launch about 25 of these. We have 25 leaders ready to encourage people in our church, outside of our church, in these groups. I believe for our church today, this is the step for most of us today, to join one of these groups to grow in our commitment to people and practices. Third, to reproduce where you live, work, and play. Maybe today you're walking with God and you feel this sense that you want to lead others to walk with God, to reproduce yourself and others. If that's your step today, let us know. Write on your card, find me. And now for you, maybe this fourth step is this right here. You're just still checking this thing out. You're still searching about Jesus, trying to find where your faith, and that's okay too. There's no pressure here today. We're not car salesmen. God is at work in your life. I am very faithful of that. But let us know what God is doing. Because I I know for, for all of us as pastors and staff, our heart is to pray with you and walk alongside with you. So let us know how we, as a church, as a people, can do that. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have just a few 30 seconds of just time for you and God to just sit and ask God about what your next step might be. What are you going to commit to? Are you going to surrender your life? Are you going to allow yourself to be involved with other people speaking life into you? Do you want to lead others in this, or are you still just checking things out? Let us know how we can pray for you because here's here's the hope that we can look up years from now and look back at how we were walking in blindness and through simple acts of faith and obedience today, we begin to to live a Jesus-centered supernatural life. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you for how good you are to us. Father, I just ask that you would just make our paths clear, that people that are struggling in their faith would cross that line today. I pray that you raise up a generation of disciple makers in our midst that we be a church of people that walk with Jesus and we walk in the power of Jesus and we go out into our world and we're just Jesus persons we're light in the midst of darkness father remind us and let us rest in our transferred identity make our steps clear Let's respond with faith and obedience. We love you. 
pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be in the back if you want to pray with me.